Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our message of the week. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged. To connect with our church family and to watch our services live, download our app today by texting Sparks Will Fly as one word, app to 77977. That's Sparks Will Fly app to 77977 or by visiting us online at sparkswillfly.cc. I feel like my heart, I was sharing with someone yesterday, I feel like my heart is in probably the healthiest place that I think it's ever been. I'm, Friday, I go see Greg about once every 10 days and get my hair cut. <laughs> and when I left him, I ran through Chick-fil-A. And, and as the lady was giving me my food, I, those that know me know I pretty much keep worship going in my truck 24-7. And there's just one song that, I guess pastor's rubbing off on me a little bit. I was just playing over and over and over again. And as she was handing me my food, I had big tears running out of my eyes. I know she thought, this man is crazy. But man, I'm telling you, the same presence that we encounter in here is the same presence that wants to encounter you in your vehicle, when you're at home, when you're in the Chick-fil-A drive through It doesn't matter. The love of Jesus knows no boundaries. He's no respecter of a building or a person. The presence of Jesus can encounter you anywhere, anytime, any place, friend. And it's a reckless abandonment pursuit that Jesus has towards you. The book of James says that, he says, Have you not forgotten that the same spirit that breathed life into you is earnestly desiring for more and for more of you? The church has it backwards, man. You can't love Jesus until you first realize that he is radically in love with you, madly in love with you. Amen? And so this morning, my apostle has given me complete uh, permission to just, he tells me that preaching is simply uh, bringing expression to just one's thoughts. And so I'm going to do my best to just start talking today. Those, of the, those that know me know that I could talk for probably four hours. Um, and so I'm not going to do that today. Amen. Um, but we make no apologies for the word of the Lord. If you were in the underground church in China they would actually be offended if you cut it at about three or four hours. They'd be upset. And so uh, we need a revelation of how powerful the Word of God is. Uh, we need that in America desperately. Uh, the Word of God, is, it's sharp. It divides soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and it exposes the real us just like worship does. The Word of God is powerful. There's a reason when Jesus came to the earth, he said, I am the eternal life. You can eat of Jesus and never get full. And the only way to live and to not starve is to eat of him constantly. And so this morning, I want to talk just a few moments off of the topic of the offspring of paradise. The offspring of paradise. We're going to pray and then we'll get started. Father, we just welcome you in a fresh way in this place. God, we say, Spirit of the living God, just fall fresh again. I pray, God, you would help me and do that, that which makes preaching effective. God, if they hear Stanton this morning, they're leaving the same way they came. But, Father, if they hear one word from Jesus, their life is changed forever. God, don't let them see me. Let them see you. Don't let them hear me. Let them hear you. Give us eyes to see in the Spirit. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. We worship you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12 says, let's pull that up in the Passion, Colton, if you don't mind. I want to read it in the Passion before, before I quote it. Out of the New King James, it's a very familiar passage of Scripture. Proverbs 13, verse 12 says this. 
When hope's dream seems to drag on and on, the delay can be depressing. But when at last your dream comes true, life's sweetness will satisfy your soul. Come on, is that not a good verse this morning? When hope's dream seems to drag on and on, the delay can be depressing. But when at last your dream comes true, life's sweetness will satisfy your soul. That's more heavily known in the church as a, uh, a promise fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a promise fulfilled is a tree of life. This tree of life that Solomon would be speaking of in the book of Proverbs is speaking of the tree that is in the garden. There are two trees that when Jesus planted Adam and Eve in the garden, he planted two trees in the garden. One was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and one, how many of you know, is the tree of life. This is the tree of life that Solomon is talking about. If you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you eat from that tree, you will surely die, Jesus says. But if you eat from this tree, the tree of life, you will never die. So if you eat of one tree, you surely die. If you eat of the other tree, you live forever. And so I believe that this tree in the garden that Solomon was talking about can be eaten from and you can never die. I believe that one of the problems that we have in the church today is that many of the things that we're decreeing and declaring and praying and believing, we actually don't have hope for ourselves. We actually don't believe them fully for ourselves. A lot, a lot, of, a lot of things that we falsely looked at in the prophetic movement, or let me say it like this, in the prophetic movement, we've actually not received the full profit the, the full profit of the prophetic word or of prophecy because we actually don't believe that we are doing something eternal. Because up until this revelation of beloved identity, up until this revelation of God's goodness and his tenderness that pastor has been bringing us from the pulpit, how many of you know hindsight is twenty twenty? But 10 years ago, we really didn't have this revelation in the church that we could actually rest and Jesus would take care of us. We thought that it was something that we had to muster up, something that we had to do in our own strength. But how many of you know that in the building of the temple of Zerubbabel, the Bible says that it's not by might nor by power, but only by your spirit, says the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is a very aggressive thing. Waiting on the Lord is actually a very passionate thing. It's actually, here's the deal. Most, most people believe that there's only one way. And then when we find another way, we think that one was right and one was wrong. It's actually not that one was right and one was wrong. It's actually that one was excellent and then there's a more excellent way. And many times the enemy of the more excellent way will be the excellent way. Because the children of God are to live from the place of abundance. We are to live from this place of rest. We are to live from this place of more than enough. And I am figuring out for myself... I've not been doing this long, but I have figured out quickly that you will burn yourself out on the treadmill of performance. Psalms 51 says that it is not my performance that brings the, the fountain of the pleasure of the one called Jesus. That doesn't bring him pleasure. My performance does not bring him pleasure. What brings him pleasure, Psalms 51 says, that it is my shattered heart before your feet. Hosea chapter 6 says that it is not by sacrifice. And during that time, the people didn't even know God rightly, but it is actually in love. That's what Jesus is looking for this morning, friend. 
When Paul came preaching grace, he literally had to undig the wells because of the religious leaders and the scholars that came to dig the wells, that came to redig and reclog up the wells of what Jesus came when he said salvation is a free gift. My love is a free gift. So what the apostle Paul had to do, who was the chief of sinners, by the way, what the apostle Paul had to do was he had to come and he had to undig those wells and he began to preach the bold proclamation of the gospel and that is that God is good and his mercy endures forever. That he will never leave you and that he will never forsake you. So what we're talking about this morning is sons and daughters being birthed from this place of paradise. Atmospheres of encounter comes with exposure to the real authentic you. Atmospheres of encounter comes with the exposure to the real authentic you. Henceforth, we have settled for the zoo when God desires the wild habitat. That's what, that's what Trenton was admonishing us this morning. Broken hearts get healed at the restful posture of bliss. Bliss means that you have no recognition or awareness of the things around you. That you are fixated and that fixated focus brings eternal peace. It brings eternal joy. Come on, it is the Psalms 1 promise that the man who standeth not in the seat of the scornful nor standeth in the path of sinners. Y'all know all the language and then on down it says, but he is like a tree planted by the rivers of of living water and his leaf shall never withers his leaf shall never wither get delivered this morning by the grace of God get delivered from seasons today Jesus doesn't want you to live from summer winter spring to fall listen I'm not here to tell you that you're not gonna have rough times disappointing times you're gonna have rough times but there are no seasons in heaven friend there are no seasons in heaven. Jesus' kingdom realm only goes from one way, glory to glory. Glory to glory. And they're not up in heaven. The great cloud of witnesses is not up in heaven today waiting for us to get it all right or for waiting for us with earnest burning desire for us to get there. Actually, what they're doing is waiting on us to rule and reign and take dominion so that that way God the Father can come rule and reign. You see, so many people think that the ultimate destination is heaven. They've got it all wrong. I was in an FCA meeting the other day with a bunch of 15, 16, and 17-year-old kids, and we're singing things like, I'll fly away. That's great. I, I think we need to keep the hymn book. Believe me, y'all, those of you that know me love, I love a good hymn. I love the hymn books. We need to keep them in our worship sets. I believe that. But here's the reality. A 16-year-old kid needs hope. He needs purpose. He needs to know that his destiny here on earth is something that God has set up and ordained for him, not let's escape. Because here's the reality. We have leaders in our pulpits every single week that's preaching to a generation that if they don't line up and if they don't measure up, that Jesus is going to constantly distance themselves from us. And I just live with this burning conviction, man, that there's a more excellent way. The same teenager that's looking at porn on his phone is the same teenager that can run right into the feet of Jesus that very night. That's how good he is. That's how good he is. So what we have to do, so what we have to do in the church is we have to begin, because listen, this was not a revelation that I grew up with, friend. This was not, and I'm, and I'm thankful for my heritage, but I pray that when I'm 40 years old that my way of thinking is at a greater, more mature place than what it is currently as I'm now standing here before you as 25 years old. And if it's, and if it's not, we're simply settling for milk, not meat. I constantly want to be growing in the revelation of Jesus. The spirit of religion that's on the earth today 
It may not look like the old gray hair that thinks he knows everything, although that's great too and we need those people, but listen to me. This is what I'm trying to tell you, friend. The spirit of religion that exists on the earth today is actually the person who cannot embrace a new way of thinking. When John the Baptist came, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent means to literally change the way that you think. And I've had to come to the revelation that I can't just simply change the way that I think overnight. That it is a process. That it is a process. And true repentance actually looks like the very motives in our heart being being turned toward the goodness of God. It's actually the very motives, the very deepest depths of our souls and of our hearts actually beginning to change. Repentance is not you just coming to an altar and repeating a prayer. Jesus died for more than for salvation, friend. Salvation is just the beginning entry point. And so what I'm talking to you about this morning, many people are running around saying that the church needs to get back to the book of Acts. And although I do believe that there is some truth in that, I live with the personal conviction that the book of Acts is simply the door that actually will help us re-enter into the garden. I'm going to say that again. The book of Acts and the revelation that they had after the outpouring of the Spirit is that we would actually use that and the holy sense of awe that swept over them in Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4 after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit when 3,000 people give their life to Jesus after Peter stands and proclaims the gospel. Actually, that's the gate that's, that's, caught, that's wanting, that God is wanting to get us back into the garden. Because it all starts with the garden. It all starts with Adam and Eve walking and talking in the cool of the day. And I'm convinced that if we cannot embrace this revelation, we're going to miss out on the move of God. I'm convinced of this. Because here's, listen, we're going to experience breakthrough. And we're going to experience victory in our services and all of that. And I'm thankful for that. But I don't want to live for good services. I want to live from a lifestyle of the rivers of living water every single day of my life. And if you're settling for a a two-day-a-week Christianity, you're settling for an inferior way of living. There is a superior way of living, and it's called the restful place of bliss and the restful posture of God's love and his tenderness and his mercy that is chasing you down every breath that you take. Every single minute of every single day, he is pursuing you with radical abandonment. So it all starts with the garden. It, it processes through the garden. It goes back through the garden. And this generation that's going to be birthed in the garden is not going to be able to cope with anything else. The spirit of religion, I pray, this is my prayer for these guys, is that religion and the spirit of religion would burn with literally the, the fires of vomit in their belly. They want the real thing. That's what they're desiring, friend. That's what they're looking for. Matt and I and some other people were in a service with Eddie James, and he said that it took him going to the White House for him to actually realize that the people that are tied up in gangs and in drugs and that the people that have maybe tried church and now they're out of church and they're settling for a life of lawlessness and all of that, that actually what they're looking for is for people to linger with them in the altars again. That's what they're looking for. They're actually looking for people that aren't going to settle for coffee and donuts, although I love coffee and donuts. But the presence of Jesus is more important than coffee and donuts. The presence of Jesus is more important than anything. And what we've done is we've numbed down this place of encounter, and we've numbed down the supernatural for academic knowledge. 
We have a lot of knowledge, but we don't have a lot of spirit. We have a lot of intellectual wisdom, but we don't have a lot, a lot of power and authority and creativity. I begin to ask myself, this whole message today is based off of a Holy Spirit-led thought that happened in Burn when we were singing that song right there. And the Lord began to reach into my heart, and he began to heal places. How many of you know that in the presence of Jesus, things that have hurt us and things that have caused us to be depressed and think because hope deferred makes the heart sick? But a tree of life, but a promise fulfilled is a tree of life. And so we were in, we were in this moment of worship in my living room. And I begin to ponder, well, God, if we're experiencing all this authenticity and creativity in my home right now, then why is it that the church itself is not actually impacting things like media, things like technology, things like television? And so what we have done is we have settled for good messages. I'm thankful for those. Smoking lights, awesome buildings, all of those things are great. But they fail in horrific comparison to a true, radical, undeniable, unshakable, fiery, radical encounter with the man, Jesus Christ. And if we are not building that in our churches, what are we building? The reason, I'm, I'm convinced of this, the reason why the church is not impacting things like media and things like television and things of like technology and of that sort is because, listen, creativity can only be birthed from a place of rest. Authenticity can only be birthed from sitting at the feet of Jesus. Everything happens at one place. It's at the feet of Jesus. It's at the feet of Jesus. Business plans happen at the feet of Jesus. New strategies for coaches and for school teachers and administrators, truly they happen at the feet of Jesus. Here's the reality. I want you to pull up Colton. I want you to pull up 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Matt and I have these long, deep theological discussions. When pastor is busy, sometimes we'll be here and we'll be talking. And this is the verse that I felt like the Lord was sharing with me, and I shared it to him. Watch this. Pour out all your worries and stress upon him and leave them there. Jesus for he always tenderly cares for you. I don't know about you, man, but my life holds on to verses like this. God, pour out all your worries and stress upon him and leave them there. For he always tenderly cares for you. Next verse. Be well balanced and always alert because your enemy, the devil, roams around incessantly like a roaring lion looking for a prey for its prey to devour. I think that it's so significant that Holy Spirit, because the whole Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit, I think that it's so significant that these two verses are back-to-back. -back. How many of you, you can honestly say that almost every single person that you talk to, when you ask them how their life is like, busy, busy, bro, bro, I'm busy. I'm busy. I wake up busy, I'm grinding, hustle, bustle, get after it. I'm busy, bro, I'm just busy. Man, I'm busy all the time. Here's the reality. The enemy of creativity is busyness. The enemy of authenticity is striving. That's the enemy. The enemy of peace is perfection. If you want to live a life of peace, you'll have, you'll have to cut the root of that thing called perfection in your life. I'm preaching my way, my way out of, of a wet paper sack this morning, believe me. And I'm having to come to the revelation 
that if I want to live in peace and I don't want an internal battle going on within me and I want to yield to love every single day of my life, it will only be because one reason, and that's because I constantly exchange heaviness for praise. So this, this is what I believe that the Lord is leading us back to. If you are partner, if you, if you, are, if you are settling for a life that's restless, that is constantly going to and fro, that's what the enemy is doing. The enemy right now is seeking who he may devour. Job chapter 1, when the prophet Job has everything ripped from him, that's where we get the verse, naked I came into the earth and naked I'll leave the earth. When he has everything ripped from him, the enemy begins to tempt him. And, he, and, and, it, and it, that's the verse where we get that he's seeking He's seeking who he may devour, which is then just a repeat of this in 1 Peter chapter 5. What am I trying to tell you? When we settle for, when we, let's say it like this, when we succumb to settling for a life of striving, we're actually partnering with that realm. Because the enemy is never at rest. When Jesus completed his creation, he sat down. He sat down. And it's not our job to try to help him figure anything out. He's got it figured out, friend. He knows it all before you ever come to him. And the real Jesus just wants the real you. And when you begin to operate in authenticity, and when you begin to operate in creativity, you're making a bold proclamation announcement that you have shattered this thing called comparison in your life. I'm going to say that again. When you begin to, what Trent was talking about, being free from the fear of man, when the angel of the Lord led Peter out of the prison in Acts chapter 12, the last thing that he had to walk through is he said, surely the Lord has delivered me from the spirit of man, from the fear of man. The last thing that we'll have to walk through in this life is the fear of man. It's the fear of man. And if you can ever get free from that, friend, and take your rightful place, Paul, when he began, when he began to write his letters, he, he made no mistake about it. The apostle Paul said, I am Paul an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he was doing was he was instilling in the Lord Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but, but be an example and stir up the gift of faith that was imparted to you by the laying, laying on of the hands of the elders. So what am I trying to tell you? Let's, let's turn in our Bibles. I'm going to point out two things, and I'm going to let you go because we're about out of time. Let's go to Song of Solomon, chapter 5. If you have a passion, that'll be right toward the end of your Bible. Don't get... Don't get it twisted because I do so many times. I'm going to go ahead and start reading this because I want, I, want you to, I want you to get this. This is Song of Solomon chapter 5. Look, I have gathered from your heart my equal, my bride. I have gathered from my garden all my sacred spices, even my myrrh. I have tasted and enjoyed my wine within you. I have tasted with pleasure my pure milk, my honeycomb, which you yield to me. I delight in gathering my sacred spice. All the fruits of my life I have gathered from within you, my paradise garden. Come, all my friends, and feast upon my bride, all you revelers of my palace, revelers of my palace. Feast on her, my lovers. Drink and drink and drink again until you can take no more. Drink the wine of her love and take all you desire, you priest. My life will within her will become your feast. I want you to look up here at me really quick. The answer for the chaotic world around you is the world within you. The answer for the craziness that's going on around you is on the inside of you. You hold the answer. 
Stop waiting on God to laser beam something from heaven. Most of the things that you're waiting to be, that you're waiting to be in an external circumstance is actually going to be an internal reality. It's an internal thing that God is wanting to unlock in you. And I'm going I'm to un, unveil the thing that I believe that keeps us from functioning in this place of creativity. You ready? My life within her will become your feast. Verse 2, after this I let my devotion slumber. This is, slumber. This is the Shulamite bride. Watch, pay close attention. But my heart for him stayed awake. I had a dream. I dreamed of my beloved. He was coming to me in the darkness of night. The melody of the man I love awakened me. I heard his knock at my heart's door as he pleaded with me. That's Revelation chapter 3 says that he stands at the door of our heart and he knocks. God. Arise, my love. Open your heart, my darling. Deeper still to me. Will you receive me this dark night? There is no one else but you. My friend, my equal. I need you this night to arise and come be with me. You are my pure, loyal dove and perfect partner for me. My flawless one, will you arise? For my heaviness and tears are more than I can bear. I have spent myself from you throughout the dark night. I'm almost done. I have already laid aside my own garments for you. How could I take them up again since I've yielded my righteousness to yours? You have cleansed my life and taken me so far. Isn't that enough? Watch this. This is where I'm going to hang my hat. Watch this. My beloved reached into me to unlock my heart. The core of my very being trembled at his touch. I love this. My spirit arose to open for more of his touch. As I surrendered to him, I began to sense his fragrance. Watch when the Lord unlocks her heart. That's when she begins to experience his fragrance. The fragrance of his suffering love. It was a sense of myrrh flowing all through me. I opened my soul to my beloved, and suddenly, but suddenly he was gone. And my heart was torn out for longing in him. This passage here in Song of Solomon chapter 5 the whole book of Song of Solomon is actually a layout of a broken Shulamite that ends up being a glorious bride. The Lord takes her from a broken place of, and I believe it's chapter 1 or chapter 2, that it says that she had not tended the vineyard within. I want to tell you this morning, friend, that there's a vineyard on the inside of you. There's a garden, and Jesus is wanting that garden to spring forth. Rivers of your living, rivers of living water shall come forth out of your belly. And so this process throughout Song of Solomon, we see a broken Shulamite that eventually ends up in a glorious bride that's lovesick for her lover. So much so that when she comes out on the other side, the people around her don't even know her, don't even, can't even recognize her. That's the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. It's the revelation of love. How many of you know like Kenneth Copeland, Bill Johnson, and a lot of those people? It's a reason why they look like they're getting younger. It's because they've tapped into a revelation of rest that the body of Christ desperately needs. I mean, every time you turn on the TV, you think Kenneth Copeland's getting younger and stronger and better looking. I believe, I believe that there, obviously he's probably eating, he's not eating double cheeseburgers like I am. But the reality of it is, is that's a supernatural thing that God has given him because he is yielded to love. Because he is yielded to rest. Any straining or striving that we do in our lives, friend, is to simply strain or strive to revert back to a place of rest. That's, that's, that's what we're trying, that's what I'm doing the best I can as I'm in my process 
Because we're always, we're never not in process. You're never not in process. And actually what you're doing when you begin to proclaim things like this to this generation is you're actually giving them permission to run in the midst of their failures. Because they need to understand that I'm a man and I'm human flesh just like they are. God is not, God is not, we don't need another great celebrity fancy preacher. We need fathers. We need mothers that are willing to open up their living room and say, come, let me show you my scars. That's the reason why you see people like Mark Castro that are starting podcasts called The Family Table. Because what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to call young sons and young daughters to the family table and say, come on, let's talk. I've benefited from many great sermons, but the times that I benefit the most from is when he's weeping and when he's weeping and I'm weeping and he's showing me the stories. And he's telling me about the scars and the wounds of when he's been hurt, but Jesus has come through from him. We don't need another another shiny-toed, fancy-haired preacher. We need daddies. We need mamas. It is your responsibility as a mother to train this generation how to hold a baby and rock him to sleep when he won't go to bed at night. How to teach that young son how to throw that baseball or that football. Come on, and how to keep taking more bites so he can be strong. My parents used to always tell me that. you got to take three more bites, then you can get up. I'm thankful for the three more bites. It just didn't work out too good. I pray that this is helping you this morning. I read this passage in Song of Solomon wrong, where it says, After this, I let my devotion slumber, but my heart, notice this, but my heart for him stayed awake. This woman being at the place of rest is actually what unlocks the thing in her heart that God needed to unlock in order to go in and deal with her. As long as you stay closed off, you will live in the dark. But when you bring things, your hurts, your disappointments, the things that have hurt you, according to Ephesians 5, if you bring it into the light, God can illuminate it. As long as it stays behind your back, you will settle for a life lived in a cage. As long as you settle for keeping everything on the inside, you will never live a life of freedom. But if you want to live a life of creativity, of power, of authority, of authenticity, of love, of intimacy, of joy, of rest, of peace, then come out of your cage, man. Come out of your cage and fly. The butterfly was never meant to stay in the cocoon. It just starts there. Then it begins to fly. And I'm watching these young people, man, and it's doing something to me on the inside. Trenton's writing songs, man. Mahala's laying in my living room floor like a snow angel. And I'm looking at that and I'm saying, God, what does she know at 15 that I didn't know? It's beloved identity. She's in an atmosphere where the presence of God is the top priority. Whether I teach or whether I'm not, she's getting freer and freer and freer in every single moment that she's in the presence of the Lord. Creativity happens at the feet of Jesus. You begin to do things that you never thought that you could do. I don't care if you're 20 or if you're 70. God's not done with your story. He wants something to come from you. There's greatness on the inside of you, friend. And the only way to achieve everything that the Lord has for you is to not live in the dark. Don't live in the dark. Live in the light. That's what Matt was singing to us this morning. Come on, we come alive in his presence. 
living lives in his presence, not just on Sunday mornings. But Monday, Tuesday, we live from this place of awareness. Why? Because the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is the acknowledgement that he is present. He is near. He's with you when you walk to the mailbox, Miss Katie, is he not? He's with you when you're going through the drive-thru at McDonald's to get your kids a Happy Meal. He's with you. Everything that you do, if you do it unto the Lord, it's worship. It's worship. Worship is not just this. Worship might be you writing, you putting in grades, whatever that it is. You do it unto the Lord, and you watch God blow upon that sacrifice. So many broken hearts. We choose to forgive. There's a difference in forgiveness and in wholeness. There's a difference in forgiving somebody because that's just a quick decision. But then wholeness is a whole other thing that we have to choose to walk out. A broken heart does not get healed overnight. I guarantee you that if I walked around, my wife being one of them, I guarantee you that if I went around this room and I began to ask you stories about your life, about the things that you desired for at one point and today you don't desire them anymore. A shallow, if you're settling for a shallow life, that tells me that you are settling for shallow desires. If you're hanging out with the Father, your desires will not be stale. They will be saturated with the reality of heaven. Hang out with the Father. You hang out with the great dreamer. When he puts you on the earth, he wrapped you in flesh and put a dream on the inside of you. And there's something that there was a dream, there was a business idea, there was a marketing plan, there was a school, there was a church, there was a, 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 a painting, something that God planted on the inside of you at first love. And what has happened is life has come and it slapped the taste out of your mouth. And I believe that the Lord is calling you to believe again, friend. Hope. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Be baptized in the hope of glory this morning. Let hope baptize your heart this morning. There's something, there's something that happened at the place of where you had that dream, and now you feel like that dream is, you feel like that dream is not there anymore. Jesus never changes the call. And you, and this is the lie that we tell this generation. We're just sinners saved by grace, barely hanging on. Well, how does that contradict I'm the head and not the tail? What type of sense does that make when I open the Bible and it tells me that I'm the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, the lender and not the borrower? And the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is on the inside of me. Jesus, oh. Let's go to Luke chapter 7. I'm done. Let's go to Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read some of these things while you're going there. Most intercession, I encourage you to listen while I'm throwing these things out at you. Most intercession in decreeing and declaring is done illegally. God's trying to give the church a new revelation of intercession. And it's called the intercession of beloved identity. You stand up there and you decree and you declare all you want to. But the problem is, is that he only gives you the desires of your heart once you delight in him first. That's Bible. That's Bible. That's what the Bible says. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You coming in here and screaming the pain off the wall, it ain't moving anything. There's a reason why Heidi Baker never raises her voice, and the whole room shatters. There's a reason why Bill and Randy and people like that don't have to yell to get what's coming out of their heart. Listen, I don't care if you yell or whether you shout. I yell. I, I probably yell too much. But it's not about that. It's about you being you. Because the real Jesus just wants the real you. Amen? He just wants the real you. And if you don't have answers, try letting your walls down. 
I was sharing with Matt and Nicole over lunch the other day. I said, I was having these thoughts the other day that I didn't like. And I was thinking to myself, God, why am I thinking like this? I don't like these thoughts. And you know what the Holy Spirit whispered to me? Yeah, but I like that part of you. I like those parts of you. Jesus doesn't just like the bad parts of you and the good parts of you as if he's a double-minded father. He's not like you. He's not like me. He's the same way every day. He doesn't have two sides. He has one side, and it's good. He has one side, and it's faithful, and it's loving, and it's kind. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Cast your cares upon me. Come on, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. I know this isn't a chest bumper, but I'm telling you, there's a reason why since the second great awakening that there has been a decline in the word kindness. If we can come into the revelation of this thing called kindness, we're going to experience a third great awakening. There was a prophetic word released by Bob Jones, a 100-year prophecy, and he said when 2020 comes, that it's going to be the year that the people of God are going to learn how to rest in him. Because yet, the people of God on the earth have not learned how to rest in God. But I believe there's a people on the earth. They're going to move in creativity that are going to impact media. They're going to move in authenticity. They're going to live their lives at the feet of Jesus. And patronizing the name of Jesus for a good show is going to rise up within them the feeling of vomit. Because they only know one thing, and that is the real organic flow of the presence of Jesus. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 tells a story of the lady with the alabaster box that many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with. But I want to highlight something else that you may not have seen before about this story. It says, afterward, a Jewish religious leader, I'm in verse 36, named Simon asked Jesus to his home for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation, and when he went to Simon's home, he took his place at the table. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets, known to all to be a prostitute. When she heard about Jesus being in Simon's house, she took an exquisite flask made from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, went right into the home of the Jewish religious leader, and knelt at the feet of Jesus in front of all the guests. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with the tears that fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over, she kissed Jesus' feet. Then she opened her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume as an act of worship. When Simon saw what was happening, he thought, this man cannot be a true prophet. If he were, he really, if he really were a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman is touching him. Jesus said, Simon, I have a word for you. Can't you hear Jesus telling Simon this? Go ahead, teacher. I want to hear it, he answered. It's a story about two men. We know Jesus tells the story. One, one person's forgiven a great amount of debt. One person's forgiven a little amount of debt. Let's move on. Verse 43, Jesus asked him, which one do you think would be the most appreciative? Simon answered, I suppose it would be the one with the greatest debt forgiven. Well, you're right, Jesus agreed. Then he spoke to Simon about the woman still weeping at his feet. Don't you see this woman kneeling here? She's doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as a guest, you didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. Yet she came into your home and washed my feet with her many tears and then dried my feet with her hair. And Jesus just begins showing Simon the more excellent way. It's very important that we notice this and then we're going to pray. In this story, in Luke chapter 7, there are two things that the Father is exposing. 
one, the pharisaical religious spirit and heart that is of Simon's. It is the heart of extravagant worship that was there all along in the lady with the alabaster box. This is the world that we live in today in the church. It's the table of tension. It's the difference between religion and authenticity. This lady with the alabaster box would have been completely, you can just imagine what had, been, what had happened to her. She was a prostitute. We don't need to paint it any, clear, any clearer than that. The Bible says that she was an immoral woman, giving herself to many men. How do you think, let me put the text in the context for you just a second. How do you think this lady's heart would have been feeling in this moment? Simon, the great religious leader, this happens on the day of the Sabbath. The day of the Sabbath back then was a huge celebrated deal, what Hunter admonished us on this morning. And that all of the family, leaders, guests come in and they celebrate and have a meal. And Jesus is the invited guest. And he's sitting at the table. And Simon is showing off his courtyards. Most religious believers and most religious scholars and teachers believe that Simon was known as a gatherer of celebrities. He would have been the one that was trying to show off everything he had to the one that was hopping and popping. The Michael Jordans, the LeBron James, the Tom Brady's of their day. He would have them into his home and then try to show off for what he had. And this lady, a prostitute, comes in right into the house of religion, free from the spirit of man, from the fear of man, and goes running into this religious house and breaks her box at the feet of Jesus. What am I trying to tell you? Proximity and nearness and the presence of Jesus exposes the real you. There was an authentic, radical lover of intimacy inside of that woman all along. And rather than staying away from Jesus, she chooses to draw near to Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus doesn't just heal her body. He heals her heart. And Simon is there, sitting there, showing off his fountains, showing off his courtyard on the day of the Sabbath. Jesus comes busting up in there as the invited guest on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was the chief cornerstone that held the Jewish family in place. It was the very thing that caused the Jewish people to be admired and to be admonished. Because at the table of rest of the Sabbath is what held the Jewish family tightly, closely together. And Jesus comes in there and he says, the Sabbath is not just about holding a law. It's not just about holding a date. It's not just about holding a religious duty. Because this woman comes in here, an exposed, broken, nasty woman, and one encounter with Jesus in the nearness to him changes her outside and on the inside. We cannot numb down the necessity or neglect the importance, the essential importance of the place of encounter. In Mark chapter 5, there is a man that is demon-possessed. He's naked, cutting himself with rocks in a graveyard. And Jesus says, that's the one I'm looking for. That's the one I'm looking for. One encounter with Jesus. Him being exposed to who Jesus truly was in that one moment. Later down in that chapter, it tells us this. That now after Jesus sets the man free, that he's clothed, sitting in his right mind, 
at the feet of Jesus. This is the transforming power of his presence. This is the reason why I do my very best to keep these young people in an atmosphere of his presence. Because I don't care how broken they are, how many mistakes that they've made, how lost that they may be. There's a father that's sitting on the porch that's waiting to encounter them at any cost. It doesn't matter, friend. His love never runs out on them. This man is clothed. He had no identity. It would have come from a father. He has no, he has no coat. He has no home. He has nothing. And one, one encounter with Jesus says that he's now clothed, sitting in his, in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. And then he comes and he says, can I stay with you? And Jesus says, no, you must go back to where, you're, where you've come from. That region was Decapolis. If you study extra biblical narratives, you will see that Decapolis was a, was a region of ten cities. What's my point? There's a chain breaker on the inside of you always. Jesus, before he fits you and formed you in the middle of your mother's womb, he knew you. There was, a, there was a radical lover in there all alone. Don't allow life to slap that out of your destiny. There was a radical dreamer on the inside of you at one time. Don't forfeit that. Your greatest days are ahead of you. The battle is not yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. Come on. He, I was reading with these guys this morning. Jesus, he who knew no sin, man, became sin. Because he knew in our fatality as humans, as men, and as broken women, and as broken men, Jesus knows how to cope with what you're going through. And he's not scared of it. We cannot numb down the importance of the encounter. The encounter, the encounter, the encounter is everything. It's everything. And there's greatness on the inside of you. Don't run from the presence of God. And because here's what we do. We insulate our hearts. We want to hide them. We want to keep them back. And Jesus is saying, no, just give it to me. Just be naked and bare at my feet. The presence of Jesus exposes the real you. And the real you is a burning son of God. Is a burning daughter of God. Set out on this earth to do great exploits for the Lord Jesus Christ in this city and in your sphere of influence. Everything that you're looking for is here. It's internal. It's internal. Rivers of living water. I want you to stand to your feet. Ali or Amanda, somebody, will you guys come help me finish this? I want to ask you this morning. Is the atmosphere in your home, is the atmosphere that you're constantly creating, does it contain enough Jesus to see the blind set free? Does it contain enough of the saturated, wet, dripping presence of Almighty God that can set the person free that's sticking a needle in his arm? What happened is we numbed down the essential need for the supernatural and we started aiming at perfect people as if there is one. Jesus did not look for perfect people. He was drawn like a magnet to those that were hurting, to those that were broken. There was a magnetic thing on the inside of him that drawed him to the whoremongers, to the prostitutes, to the tax collectors. These are the people that Jesus was hanging out with. Because he knew that the world on the inside of him was enough. He knew that the God on the inside of him was enough. 
Jesus did not die in the hands of these tax collectors and of these prostitutes and of these broken people. He died in the hands of Pharisees who thought they had it all together. It is the religious spirit that tries to paint this false image of God as if, as if he's some angry bookkeeper. He's not keeping score. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love knows no wrong, friend. It keeps no record of wrong. Jesus is not keeping a record of your mistakes. He's not up in heaven like, well, Cleve blew it again. Now I can't love him anymore. No, he just loves Cleve through that. Grace is not overlooking anything. Grace is rolling your sleeves up and Jesus rolling his sleeves up. And he says, I didn't just buy you. I bought your dirt too. That's what grace is. Grace says me and you are going to get in this thing and we're going to be like Jacob. We're going to do this thing until I love the hell out of you. Because there's hell in all of us. But Jesus didn't pay for you to live this life thinking because, listen, I'm, try, I'm doing the best I can to raise a generation in the reality of who Abba is. In order for them to come running to the feet of Jesus, we've got to be safe with Abba ourselves. Sons and daughters can't feel safe with a Jesus who's mad. If Matt creates an atmosphere of, of hatred and disappointment and angry with Judah and Ava, Judah and Ava are not going to want to run to his lap. But if we're creating an atmosphere of love, unconditional love, no matter the cost, then we're going to have a generation that's going to come running to the man named Jesus. Come on, somebody. I wish I had at least a person that believed it. The creative flow that you were designed for is an announcement to the insecure hearts around you that you have cut the root to comparison. Sons and daughters of the paradise that Yahweh is raising up will not be able to grasp the counterfeit, the patronizing performance stream of Christianity. This is what Simon was doing, trying to patronize Jesus. Look at who's at my house. But there was a lady that was broken that proves what Jesus is really concerned about. It's your heart. It's your heart. You're going to raise up sons that know who Abba truly is. In order for sons and daughters to become all they're designed to be, they have to feel safe with dad, man. Oh, we don't feel safe with a God. If we don't feel safe with God, then we translate tension to sons and daughters. Listen right here, I'm telling you, those of you that have kids, if we don't feel safe with father, our kids are not going to feel safe with him either. Creativity releases permission for authenticity. Listen, I'm, there, I'm telling you, there's a new sound and, that's coming. There's a new wave of creativity that's coming. There's a new wave of authenticity that's coming. Mahala Gibbs is going to write music. Trent Smith is going to write music. There's going to be songs that are going to be birthed from this place, and they're going to come from the place, not a fear of you having to be excellent. Don't numb down creativity, men of God, to a feminine thing. Creativity is not a feminine thing. It's a heaven thing. Come on, man. Let's create atmospheres of encounter. Let's create atmospheres of the presence of God. Let's raise our children in the fear and the nearness of God. Come on, somebody lift your hands and receive grace for that right now. We're going to raise our kids. We're going to raise a generation, man. We're going to build environments and cultures that are conducive for the things of the wild. The wild things, not the zoo 
not the wild habitat, not the, not the everything's got to be perfect, but we're going to raise sons and daughters that are made to be outside of the box. They're going to fly, and they're going to fly high. I wish somebody would help me pray. Father, we thank you for raising up a movement of sons and of daughters that, that know they are radically loved by God. And I'm asking you, Yahweh, to baptize their hearts in love, baptize their hearts in mercy, baptize their hearts in a radical burning desire of a relationship with the one who loves them. Father, I pray not just for them, but for all of us. God, I thank you that if a son is going to burn, a father's got to burn. It's not just the one or the other. It's the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. I declare that as for Cornerstone and as for Adel, Georgia, we're going to be a people that are moved in compassion. We're going to be a people that are moved to tenderness and to love and to rest and to joy and we never have to question whether or not Yahweh's radically in love with us. We know without a shadow of a doubt that I am the apple of his eye. I am my beloved and he is mine. Yahweh, I pray that you would release a grace all over this room right now for creativity and for authenticity. I declare a new dance that's coming. Come on. There's a holy thing about being wild and free. I declare that there is a new thing coming to sons and daughters of authenticity. New songs, new melodies, new rhythms, and they're not going to let the disappointments keep their heart cold. They're going to open their cold, their cold hearts, and you're going to warm them because hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a tree of life is a promise fulfilled. We're not just going to do this, Yahweh, for the next two years. We're going to do this for forever, from glory to glory, because, Father, I have hope that your love goes on forever, that your love goes on forever. And we thank you for what you did in this place today. We pray, God, for Pastor John and Miss Catherine, that when they return home, they're rested and rejuvenated. We bless our leaders today, God. We thank you and we honor them. Father, on Super Bowl Sunday, the number one day for sex trafficking in America, Father, we declare that the hotels that are being used for self, for sex trafficking, will be shut down by the power of Yeshua the Christ. God, we thank you for the men that are getting ready to exploit these young women. Father, we declare and we decree through beloved identity, knowing our place, that you can arrest their hearts. You can arrest their spirits. And I pray right before it gets ready to happen, I pray that they'll turn the other cheek and walk the other way. I pray, God, I pray, God, in the mighty name of Jesus for a decrease in the movement of, self tra of sex trafficking. And we declare that the, that the state of Georgia will not be known for perversion. The state of Georgia will not be known for exploiting young women. But we're going to raise up young radical daughters of God. We declare that it is so. Father, I pray that you would help us get our heads out of the gutter and realize that you didn't die just for white, middle-class, churched, yuppie Republicans that are just waiting on the rapture to happen. God, I pray we would bring influence to something right now. God, I thank you that the kingdom of heaven is going to wreak havoc on the darkness of hell. And where Jesus is, there can be no darkness. We declare light. We're going to glow in the dark. 
the manifestation of the sons of God is the only thing that the cosmos is needing. It's not just another wave. It's a movement of sons. It's a movement of daughters. Come forth, break forth, and unveil in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, if you believe it, shout amen. Come on, hallelujah. We love you. Be blessed in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed our message of the week. Thanks for joining us. Our passion at Cornerstone is our family atmosphere built on deep relationships. We want to connect with you. Please take a moment and download our app and connect with us on social media to stay updated with all things Cornerstone. We pray you have a wonderful week.